Let's pray. Father, we are again grateful to be able to gather here this morning together to continue this conversation about who we are and why we are here. And so I just ask now that you would take all the stuff that we bring into this space with us on a Sunday morning, the things that we're uh, celebrating and excited about and looking forward to, but also the burdens that we carry, the questions that we're asking, the anxiety that we hold. Would you take all of it now for us so that we can be fully present here this morning, ready to receive whatever it is that you want to speak to us. Thank you that you are, are here, that your spirit is active and moving and wants to speak to us, God. We are ready to receive. Amen. All right, you can have a seat. And if you have a Bible, you can meet me in Luke chapter 10. And as you're doing that, my name is Steve, by the way. I'm the lead pastor here for our community. And I just want to build off of something that Pamela mentioned in, uh, in the announcements there a couple moments ago. Um, I want to say thank you, first of all, to everybody who participated in the Discovery Church Pulse survey. Um, give yourself a hand, sure. There you go. Uh, definitely give yourself a hand, though, because... Uh, we broke our record for participation this year, so that's pretty cool. I think we, we did have some like high uh, hopes and aspirations of shattering the record, which we didn't quite do, but we still broke it, and so that's definitely uh, an awesome thing to celebrate. So I wanted to say thank you for doing that and just let you know that um, now all of that information is in the hands of the people who like to do you know the spreadsheets and the graphs and all that kind of stuff, um, which is not me. I don't know how to do any of that, um, nor does it get me all that excited. But when it comes back to me, it is very fascinating. And so we're uh, uh, in the process of putting that together. And in the next couple of weeks, we'll have a lot more to share with you about what some of the, the findings are there. So stay tuned, but wanted to say thank you for taking the time to do that. The second thing I wanted to say thank you to is those of you who are a part of the School of Theology this year. We just wrapped up on Tuesday night. Uh, a three-week uh, session where we talked about all kinds of stuff. Uh, the Trinity, uh, the relational nature of the universe in which we are in, how that impacts everything when it comes to our uh, discipleship in the way of Jesus. And I, I know that, you know, Tuesday night at 7 o'clock doesn't work for everybody. So one of the things that we're going to do in the coming weeks and months is build out the resources that are available to you on our Discovery Christian Church app. And the place to find all of that is called the Discovery Library. So I believe it's a group or a channel, and all you got to do is click on that, and um, somebody will give you access to that. And over, the again, the coming uh, weeks and months, we're going to add this year's School of Theology. We're going to add the old School of Theology content. Uh, we're going to add resources that go along with the conversations that we're having on Sunday morning and a whole bunch of other stuff. So please take a, a, a moment to do that, and then you'll have, again, access to all of that stuff um, as we move forward together. All right, Luke chapter 10, as today we wrap up our Vision 2024 conversation. Luke 10, verse 1, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others 
and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go. Go. I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. This is a great pep talk, by the way, by Jesus. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals. Do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say peace to this house. And if someone promotes uh, if someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near. The kingdom of God has come near to you. I want you to remember that phrase. We're going to come back to that a little bit later. Now, skip down to verse 17. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Even the demons submit to us in your name. And Jesus replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. All right, this is a good one. Uh, so again, today, we are wrapping up our Vision 2024 conversation. The last four or five weeks, we've been uh, diving into some of the big questions, right? Who are we and what are we doing here? And this has not been an individual, who is Steve, what am I doing here? But collectively, as a church community, Discovery Christian Church, here in Davis, California, in 2024, who are we and why are we here? To the why, Tim Keller writes, in 2,000 years, so from the time of Jesus until now, in 2,000 years, we have never learned how to do mission in a place that was post-Christian rather than pre-Christian. And so if you are in ministry, if you are a part of a church community in 2024, it is going to take all of your life, everything you have, to help the church figure out how to do this. We are on a quest to reimagine what church and mission looks like in a post-Christian culture so that spiritual explorers can discover and rediscover the good news of Jesus. This is why we are here. And this is what we've been doing over the last several years, is what we continue to do. I think the new sort of step or challenge for us in this is I believe that we are being called to lead. We're being called to lead, to be an example for other communities of what this can look like. And I, I have said this a few times, I don't mean this to be critical, but I just don't see a lot of other churches in our area doing this. And, and again, I think God has protected us, preserved us, and placed us here for such a time as this, to lead in this, what it looks like to reimagine church and mission in a post-Christian context. That's why we're here. Now, who are we? 
right? The last couple of weeks, we've been unpacking our values. Our core values shape who we are and how we accomplish this mission. Our values are deeply rooted in a theological conviction about the nature and character of God. We believe that God exists as relationship, as community, as trinity. Three in oneness, Father, Son, and Spirit. This mysterious, beautiful unity of three persons in one being, this perfect community of self-giving love. And because God exists as perfect community of self-giving love, it cannot be contained. And so God creates, God creates us and invites us into that to participate in that relationship of love. And the good news of the story of Scripture is that God creates us this way, invites us into this, and even after we rebel against that, Right? Even after we reject this, Genesis chapter 3, God does not give up on us, but continues to pursue us and continues to invite us back into this community of love. One of the ways we say that here is God, God's mission and purpose is putting his family back together. Which is just another way of saying, helping people discover and rediscover the good news of Jesus. The relational nature of God shapes who we are and what we do. And so as we go on this quest, we do it together, right? We are better together. We quest for the sake of others, right? For the the rest of us. We are a church for the rest of us. We dream and imagine new ways to, to bring church with us wherever we go, not just to get people to come into a building on Sunday morning, but to be the church wherever we go because fun is spiritual. And finally, our mission is accomplished at its most fundamental level by people investing in people who invest in people who invest in people, and on down the chain it goes. This is what we call hero-making. Our mission is accomplished by investing in others. Now, I grew up in a church culture where one of the mantras was everything rises and falls on leadership. And I think there's a lot of truth still to that statement. But in a post-Christian world, everything rises and falls on relationships. This is a subtle but important shift. We live in a moment where there's deep suspicion of leadership, where, where we sort of rebel against hierarchies. There's more kind of diffused uh, networks that we can plug into, right? Everything rises and falls on relationships. This is one of the ways in which our world has shifted, but I think there's good news for us here because that shift actually helps us align with Jesus's philosophy of ministry. So a couple of things that I want us to see, and then we're going we're gonna to sit for a minute in, in that story there in Luke chapter 10. But throughout Jesus's time in public ministry, the three years that he was traveling around Palestine, one of the things that you see is that he attracts a lot of people to him, right? And, and at times, massive crowds are present when Jesus is, is 
teaching or healing or performing a miracle or just interacting with someone. A couple of examples. The Sermon on the Mount was most likely given to a very large crowd of people. The feeding of the 5,000, which was really more like the feeding of the 10 to 15,000 because they only counted the men. So there's you know, women and children and all kinds of other people who maybe didn't make that count. 15,000 people, that is a huge crowd, right? At times, Jesus attracted a lot of people, but there were also these moments where the crowds disappeared. One of the things I want us to see is that while Jesus didn't mind a crowd showing up, he was not in this for the crowd. In John chapter 6, Jesus gives a hard teaching. It's actually one of the first times he starts to talk about his death and what that's going to mean. And he talks about how you're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And people are freaked out by that, believe it or not. And so it says in John 6 that after delivering this hard teaching, a lot of people leave. A lot of people leave. Crowds kind of rebuild over the years. In fact, there's a moment when Jesus, right at the very end of his life, he he comes into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. What happens? This is Palm Sunday. That huge crowd, Hosanna, Hosanna, they're waving palm palm leaves, all this stuff. A week later... Everyone is gone. Right? The crowds come and go. There's these big fluctuations in the number of people who are around Jesus. But underneath that, there's this very interesting thing taking place, this extremely critical growth that unfolds over his three years of ministry. Take a look at this. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus officially names his team of 12. Right, who we sometimes call the 12 disciples or 12 apostles. Luke 6 names the 12. Luke 9, he sends them out. There's this repeated pattern where Jesus invests very deeply in a small group of people and then he gets them in the game. It's your turn now. Go, participate. You go, do. You try it out. So Luke 6 calls the 12. Luke 9 sends them out. Luke 8, if you remember back a couple weeks ago, we saw this This passage, right, where we find out that there's more than just the 12 in his core team. There's this group of women who are with them helping make the whole thing happen. And then here, Luke 10, where we're going to walk through in just a moment, Luke, or Jesus sends them out, 72. So there's 12, and then there's 72. And then in Acts chapter 1... Jesus has resurrected from the dead, and his core team is, is huddled up trying to figure out what, what happens now. And Jesus says, you're going to go to Jerusalem, and you're going to wait there for the Holy Spirit. 120. So Jesus goes from 12 to 72 to 120. As these huge crowds are kind of fluctuating on the surface of it, underneath that, this is what Jesus is pouring himself into, and it's those 120 who will go on to change the world. We are here this morning because of that 120. Think about that for a minute. Now, what I want to do here for a moment is is just walk through the messy middle of that process with the 72 in Luke 10, and I want to point out some important things from Jesus 
about this practice, this value for us of hero making, of investing in other people. So first, Jesus creates opportunities. Creates opportunities. Hey, uh, I'm going to send you guys out. This is now, the 12 got a chance to go out and do this. Now 72, it's your opportunity to go out and, and do this. Jesus creates opportunities to try and fail, to try and succeed. Participation and experience are key to hero making. It's not just something you sit down and, and you listen to a podcast, right? Or you attend a class. It's something we have to practice and participate and try. Second, he sends them in teams, pairs, because we're better together. I, I once worked for someone, this was in ministry, who looked, this was like a core team sort of meeting, he looked us all in the eye and he said, I don't need you. I just want to slay dragons by myself. And um, that was deeply disappointing for a whole bunch of reasons. Uh, but here's what I want to say, and I know this sounds harsh, but that sentiment, right, that heroic individual leadership mentality is anti-Christ. And again, I know it's like, whoa, that's, that's like a harsh thing to say, but it, it, think about it. Jesus is all about teams. He's all about teams. And so this, like, it's just me. I'll do it all by myself. I don't need anybody else. I'm going to slay dragons alone. Mentality is against the way of Christ. Are you with me? Jesus creates opportunities, and then he sends them out in teams. He also sends them with instructions. Right? He gives them some training before he sends them out. He tells them where they're going to go and what they're going to do, how they should interact with people when they get there. He gives them instructions. But notice this. It's not a formula. It's not a formula. The Jesus way is to provide a framework but then leave a lot of space for discernment. Jesus provides a framework but leads a lot, leaves a lot of space for discernment because these are people, not robots. And quite frankly, a lot of discipleship conversation, leadership development conversation in the church is very formulaic. Just do these three things and magic stuff will happen. As opposed to a framework with room to discern. Fourth, Jesus gave them good news to proclaim. The message is very kingdom-centered and shalom-centered. The kingdom has come near. Right? The kingdom has come near. This is the funnest spiritual approach. They are bringing good news with them. They are bringing shalom with them. They're not trying to attract a crowd or get people to go to an event. They're just showing up, looking for someone who's open, and then saying the kingdom has come near. It's here. It's among you. It's happening. Pay attention. Did you notice this? The kingdom has come near. Now, moving ahead in the story, they go and uh, 
cool stuff happens, right? This is so important. They actually go and do it. They don't just talk about it. They don't just pray about it. They go and they participate, and they're actually pretty successful. Jesus even says, I saw Satan fall which is really cool because a lot of times when we're doing stuff, when we're serving, when we are participating in the mission of God, it can feel like, what difference does this make? I'm just picking up trash. I'm just meeting with this person for coffee. I'm just doing whatever the thing is. Set up and tear down. What does it matter? And Jesus says, when you're out there doing this, you are pushing back against the forces of darkness. I saw Satan fall. You were just out there doing what I told you to do, but behind the scenes, amazing things. Amazing things. I saw Satan fall. And then the last thing here is they, they continue to process the experience, right? They go and they do and they see stuff. Amazing things happen. And they come back to Jesus and they talk about it. And he explains some more and they unpack it together. Jesus, in this unpacking, says some weird stuff, right? about like trampoline snakes and scorpions biting them and all, like what? Now I wanna just make this very straightforward for us. The trampoline snakes thing is a metaphor. It's actually a callback in many ways to Genesis chapter three. And by the way, we're gonna be in the book of Genesis for a while starting in the month of March. So I don't wanna give too much about that away, but there's this whole like, th this is what's gonna happen, right? When Jesus comes, the snake is going to be trampled. So he's not saying you're going to literally go around and like stomp on snakes. What he's saying is, again, the stakes are high. This is good versus evil. And what you are doing is pushing back on the forces of evil, the forces of darkness. When you participate in the mission of God, helping him put his family back together. We're about to... Uh, ramp up into baseball and softball season. And there we go. And uh, one of the things that I love about youth sports is that over the course of a season, it doesn't matter if, if the kid has played uh, zero games, has no experience whatsoever, if they've been around for a while, uh, every kid gets better over the course of the year. It's amazing to watch this. And so as a coach, you come to the end of these seasons and you have this this time of reflection, and you kind of get to speak into these kids' lives, and it's this, you can be very, you want to be very specific. I saw you try this for the first time. I saw you uh, take on this skill, and, and you did it, and it was amazing, and you got better as the season went on. And then one of the things that you say as a coach, or at least I say as a coach, is keep going. Like, keep playing this sport, because it's fun, and you're getting better, and you're improving, and if you keep at it, even more cool stuff will happen. This is what Jesus is doing here. He's not saying go literally stomp on the head of a snake. He's saying even cooler things are going to happen if you keep at it. Keep participating. Keep trying. Greater things, as we sing here, greater things are still to come. So, Jesus brings his team together, he challenges them, he gives them opportunities, he trains and prepares them, but he also takes risks and he sends them out into difficult situations that are probably well above what they are ready for. 
And then they come back and they talk about it, they process it together, and he encourages them to keep going. This is what we would call empowered hero-making at its finest. Empowered hero-making at its finest. And so if Jesus, the creator and sustainer of the universe, the savior and redeemer of each one of us, of his creation, if Jesus did the work of investing deeply in a small group of people, how much more so should we be doing this work? Right? How much more critical is it for us to take the time to invest in people who will invest in people who will invest in people? Two more things, and then I want to invite uh, Marla to come up and, and share a little bit this morning. In this process of investing in his team, Jesus flips a couple of common misconceptions that, that I find a lot in church right on their head. The, the first misconception is this idea that, that consuming is the way to maturity. There's this very pernicious idea in the church that if I just get more information, if I read another book, if, uh, uh, if I hear some more sermons or if somebody invests more in me, then I'll mature enough to where I can participate. And one of the things that we see over and over again with Jesus is he just throws people into the game. Right? Growth happens through participation. It happens through trying. It happens through getting involved. Not through passively consuming more content, but through creative engagement in the community. The second thing he flips here is uh, the, what I would call the problem-solving mentality to a dreaming mentality. Uh, I, I, go, I go to a lot of meetings. That's my life. <laughs> Pretty exciting, right? Um, but whether those meetings are church meetings or youth sports or PTA or whatever, it's really interesting to me. Almost every organization that I'm a part of is having the same conversations. How do we get more people involved? How do we get people to sign up? How do we get people to read the email? What if we just had this magic app that solved all of our problems? Right? It's the same conversation everywhere I go. Underneath that, I think, is this deeply human thing to see the problem, not the opportunity. To, to see what we don't have as opposed to what we have. And I think Jesus is just a master of seeing the opportunity. Seeing what we do have. Right, not the lack. I only have these 12 dummies. No, I have these 12 people who are going to change the world. Right, man, the crowds are coming and going. There's 5,000 one day, nobody the next day. That's really rough. No, 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 I have 72 I have 72 people who are going to turn the world upside down. Everybody abandoned me and bailed at my most critical moment. No, I have 120. Right, and these 120 are going to change the world. Jesus always saw the opportunity. And again, I think it's a very human thing to look at a situation and go, ah, oh, well, we don't have this, we don't have that, and if only, if only, if only... 
One of the things that Jesus does is he invites us to dream big. He invites us to dream big. We have more people involved in our church than Jesus did at the end of his public ministry. We could change the world. And so rather than thinking about the problems and how do we solve them, I mean, we need problem solvers. Don't get me wrong. Problem solvers are great. But we also need big dreamers. We need to see not the lack, but the opportunities. The opportunities that are in front of us. Now, along these lines of dreaming big, I want to invite Marla to come uh, share a little bit with us. So you can give her a hand as she makes her way to the stage. If you haven't had a chance to meet her yet, Marla is our creative arts director. She's just finished her second month with us. And she, yeah. (laughs) She has been a a tremendous blessing and addition uh, to our team for a whole bunch of reasons. And I, I don't have time to get into all the reasons and ways in which Marla is awesome. But one of the reasons why we are so excited to have her be a part of the team, obviously, she's very gifted musically right? And we deeply appreciate the ways in which she leads us into worship and gatherings on a Sunday morning. But in addition to that, Marla is also a very gifted leader of people. And already in the first 60 days, I'm seeing just tremendous traction and progress on some stuff um, that we haven't had traction on in a while. So first of all, thank you for doing that. Thank you. and then, and then second of all, that's what, again, I think is, is really exciting for us is not just what happens here on Sunday morning, but her ability to lead and invest in people throughout the week. And uh, Marla's been doing this. She's, not only is she skilled in it, she's got experience in it both in the church and outside the church. I want you to share a little bit first about some of your outside the church experience because your kind of first career was as a community organizer. And so tell us a little bit about, first of all, what is community organizing? Maybe we don't know. And then second of all, what are some things that you learned about leadership and hero making from the experience of of that work? Okay, cool. Does anybody know what a community organizer is? Okay, cool. All right, well, a community organizer is somebody who goes into a community and mobilizes people towards um, some sort of collective action. It's usually a social or political or economic issue in that community. And so an organizer will go in, start meeting with people, um, start finding commonalities, and start spending time with people. And in those relationships, you start to work towards, well, you all kind of agree on what the issues are, and then you start to work towards how to solve those issues. And so I was able to do that for a good amount of time, um, and on a number of ways. Uh, we worked on uh, political campaigns. We worked on local issues, saving a local hospital, which was like the public safety net, um, where people didn't have anywhere else to go. This is before there was a, a health care bill, which gives more people health care. This is when, if you couldn't afford it, you didn't have it. It was a luxury. Um, and also helped people improve their wages and benefits, which also improved their quality of life. Uh, we also worked on some issues around schools, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that's kind of what a community organizer does. Yeah. Um, And then the next thing you asked me was about some of the things I learned about leadership. So the first thing that I learned about leadership from being a community organizer is that you have to, like, invest time in people. 
um, which is hard because I'm the kind of person who just wants to get things done. So I just want to go in and be like, okay, this is the issue. This is how we solve it. Everybody go. But that's not how people work, right? You have to get to know people. Um, you have to be able to develop and create a relationship, and that requires spending time. And so one of the things that I would do, we were working with um, lower-income people, and they often didn't have transportation to our events, or um, if they had transportation, it was public transportation, it would take a long time, or they might have to take a cab. Um, it would take a, a lot of money, too. So I started picking people up and driving them to and from events. And at the time, I was a student, and I was a single mom, so time was not a luxury that I had, but it was really important for me to invest that moment with people. And in those car rides, I found out so much more about their lives than I would have, been, would have found out you know, when we got wherever we were going. And so there was this one woman I used to drive a lot, and in our conversation. I used to pick her up a bunch, and I'd have to sit at her house sometimes because she wasn't ready when I got there. And so we'd have conversations, and I found out from her she was um, a health provider for her brother. And her brother had gotten into a car accident and gotten severe brain damage. And she had left her career and given up her life to take care of her brother. And I wouldn't have known that if we hadn't had that time to sit and talk and her to get comfortable with me to share so like that little investment in time made a huge difference not only in our relationship but my appreciation for her and also my commitment to the work because it wasn't just like we had to get this done it was like I'm gonna help better her life and her family and her community and so it not only impacted um, you know, the work we were able to do, but also deepen like why I was willing to do it. So it was that investment in time that made the difference. Um, the other thing that was a little bit hard um, as a leader, this one's really hard, I think, is to be uncomfortable because nobody likes to be uncomfortable, right? Um, I don't like the cold, and so when it gets cold, I get like, I don't even wanna go outside. So to be sitting with people that you don't know, who have different culture, different um, race, different ethnicity, different cultural social values, um, to sit in space with those people and to see them as just as valuable and important as you was something that we had a challenge with. Um, and so as leaders, we had to decide, were we just gonna separate people? So we'll put the black people over here and we'll put the Spanish speaking people over here and we'll put the Muslims over here and the Catholics over here, or do we bring all of them together in that discomfort and get to know each other and find out what commonalities we have so that we can actually really build community. And so that was the decision we made. We made as leaders to be uncomfortable and spend time with everybody in an uncomfortable place where we could get to a better place of understanding and then we could work together and we could reach towards some of the things that I told you that we were able to accomplish. And that was only because we, were, we stopped and we were like, it's important enough for us to invest time and also be uncomfortable in this space so that we can come out on the other side as a stronger community together. So those are a couple of my lessons. Pretty, yeah. pretty cool. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, talk now for just a moment about how that translates to here 
and to be in a community of Jesus followers. And then specifically, I mean, we just talked about dreaming big. So like, what are some of your big dreams for us as we get better at this hero making thing and as we get better at dreaming about some of the, the opportunities in front of us? Um, what are some of your dreams for yeah, things that are yeah. happening at Discovery? So some of my dreams, first, first my immediate dream is that everybody in this room who has a skill or a talent will see that they have a place here and you will come forward and you will say, yes, I'm ready. I want to join the team. I want to be a part of. So that is my immediate dream. I'm talking to you if you are holding out out there. Um, but for bigger, bigger picture and idea, this is such a cool community. Like Davis is such an awesome place. There's so much creativity. I was at like the arts and crafts fair last week and then there's a couple of concerts coming up. Where's Joey at? Joey's got a concert coming up in a couple of weeks. Shout out. Um, there's so much creativity here. Um, our church should be as creative as our community. And it just doesn't mean music. It's dance, it's theater, it's visual arts, it's artists. You know, there's just such an opportunity for us to be a place for people to see that they belong here and that this is a community that's open and welcoming. And so that is what I desire for us to have, like, a rich, thriving artist community where they don't have to be Christians, right? This is a place where you belong whether or not you believe in Jesus or you don't. This is just a place where if you've got a skill and a talent, come in, share. Let's get to know each other. Let's spend some time together. Let's invest in people. And if, if you decide you want to hear a little more about Jesus, that's awesome. But if you don't, that's okay too because we're going to love you because this is a place where we welcome everyone. And so creating a community of artists who get together um, based on the things that we love, um, get, come out and celebrate other people, support one another. And gosh, I mean, future, it wouldn't it be cool if we had like a discovery like art studio where all kinds of art was happening wouldn't that be cool? Can you see that? Like Friday night, we've got music. Saturday night, we've got a dance performance. We're learning things from each other. Like there's just such an opportunity for us to, um, to build and grow and reach out and love people and create community in the spaces where we are already living and where we already have our talents at. So those are a few of the things that I'm hoping we get to together. That's it. <laughs> All right. Who's fired up now? I am. Uh, I want to, uh, as we get ready here um, to take communion, I want to just end with uh, two things building off of what Marla just shared. Particularly those ideas of being uncomfortable, taking risks, right, and time. Jesus says to his team, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, right? So there's the vision. There's the issue. There's the problem. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. There's the general response. Right? Pray about it. Ask God to send more workers. And then I love that he immediately, there's a third step here, he immediately then says, you go. Right? Cast the vision, invites a general response, and then pushes a specific challenge. You go. Over the last five weeks, you've heard the vision, you know the quest, you know who we are and why we are here. The harvest is plentiful. It's go time. It's go time.
So what is your go? What is your go? Again, everything rises and falls on relationships, but meaningful relationships, hero-making, requires those two things from us that Marla just talked about, risk and time. It requires the risk of being vulnerable, right? Risking rejection, risking failure. Relationships are not built on guarantees of success. They are built on trust. Jesus says, I'm sending you out like lambs to wolves. That's a risk. That's a risk. But it's a risk that opens up this opportunity for greater trust, deeper relationship. I want to very quickly, I'm just going to call on some people, so sorry for not giving you a heads up here. But I want to ask if our elders are here, if you are an elder, stand up and wave your hand. Justin did not stand, but he's right there. Uh, If you're a deacon, actually stay standing as I call these teams up. If you're a deacon, stand up and wave your hand. There we go. Stay, Stay up. If you are on staff, stand up and wave your hand. Okay? If you are a neighborhood community leader, There may be some overlap here. (laughs) Stand up and wave your hand. There we go. And then if you are a team leader, stand up and wave your hand, please. There we go. There's David, stand up. (laughs) Um, All right. You guys can sit down now. I do that just to sort of ease a little bit of that, like, Uh, tension we might have with going up and saying hi to people. These folks would love to get to know you better. Um, Part of of hero making is is, uh, us taking the risk and reaching out and saying, hey, I'm available. But the other part of that is those folks will take risks and tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, it's go time. Are you in? So it takes risk and then time. Authentic, spiritually transformational relationships are cooked in crockpots, not microwaves. Another way of saying it, this is from Zadie Smith, time is how you spend your love. Time is how you spend your love. Hero makers make time. They make time for people. They make time for the sake of the mission. They spend their love investing in people. What is your go? What risk do you need to take? And how will you make time for it? When the 72 return to Jesus, they return with joy, which is the same word that was so critical to the stories that we started this whole conversation with back on January 7th, Luke chapter 15, right? Jesus is spending time with notorious sinners The church people start to grumble and complain. He's spending time with those people again. And Jesus tells stories about lost things being found. About dead things coming back to life. And the response is joy. Rejoicing. Celebration. That reunion is what we are all about here at Discovery. And it's what we celebrate and remember in this moment called communion. It's what we work for. 
in the world. All this mission and vision conversation is just to help people experience reunion with God, to experience the joy of the with God life. I'll invite the band to come back and get ready to lead us in worship. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The kingdom has come near. The kingdom has come near. What is your go? What risk do you need to take? And how will you make time for that? Father, we pray that our community would be known for big dreams, that our community would be known for taking risks, for making the time to invest in each other. Not a community of heroes, but a community of hero makers. Thank you for uh, sending your son Jesus to heal us and restore us, to invite us back into your family into your community of perfect, self-giving love. May we, in our own small way, reflect that love back to people uh, here, but also throughout our week in the different places you have us. We are grateful, God. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.